following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, perhaps you are familiar with the popular notion uh, that our perception defines our reality, uh, meaning that how we view things determine how things really are. Um, I think, therefore, I am. Right? Have you heard of this before? Well, the fruit of this thinking in our day is what the scholars call moral relativism. Basically meaning uh, that what is true for you may be true for you, but not necessarily true for me. Um, This is to say that how we perceive things defines for each individual how things really are. Um, and this is problematic and even if in your conscious mind you think that this philosophy is wrong that truth is truth and it doesn't matter if someone feels that something is so that doesn't mean it really is even if you say that with your mouth I wonder how many of us actually live like this idea is how things really are The people in the city of Colossae, who Paul was writing to in this letter to the Colossians, were surrounded by this type of thinking just as we are. It isn't anything new. Uh, Anybody selling books on this is selling old ideas. This type of thinking, just like in Colossae, uh, is still rampant in the church today. Maybe you don't agree? Well, how many of you have heard the expression, if you're feeling far from God, guess who moved? Heard that before? See now bumper sticker? Popular thought, right? Is it wrong? We don't know. I'm glad you're here. Our perception does not define reality. Reality is reality, however, regardless of how we feel about it. So let's look at Colossians chapter 1, and I'll try to explain what I'm talking about. We'll, we'll read this and then pray. Colossians 1, 24 through 29 is page 983 in a pew Bibles, if that's helpful. Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my minds for your sake. I'm filling up what is afflictions for the sake of the body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask for your help as we look to your word. We pray that your spirit would interpret your word to us, that we would be able to make sense of the message that we'd be able to apply it to our lives and so be transformed in our minds. We pray that you would affect our thinking this morning according to your word. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, in these short verses, we get a snapshot of God's plan and purpose and power at work through the Apostle Paul. Sounds like a three-point sermon and an alliteration. I'll start with P, right? You know how much I love that. Uh, well, the best part is the chewy center of this tasty treat. It's the reality that ought to alter our perception instead of allowing our perception to define our reality. And we will get there. Paul says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. This is a very interesting uh, phrase here. Now remember when Paul wrote this, uh, letter. He was in chains in Rome, chained by the wrist to a Roman soldier. He's waiting trial for sedition, for being a traitor to the to Rome. But even though he was imprisoned, he rejoiced because he was imprisoned for the gospel. He was honored to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. But uh, what does it mean to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? That's a, quite a claim, isn't it? Didn't Jesus suffer enough on the cross? Do you have to continue to suffer through Paul? Well, it's interesting. The word translated afflictions is never used in the Bible to refer to Christ's suffering or his atoning work on the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. His death on the cross was enough to pay the penalty for our sins, past, present, and future. It says here in verse 24 that the church is Christ's body. And we saw back in verse 18 earlier in our study that Christ is the head of that body. And since Christ is the head of the body, and Paul, like us, is part of that body, when Paul is afflicted, when the church is afflicted, Christ himself is afflicted. You remember when Paul was converted, Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. Uh, and they were still calling him Saul, right? He's an enemy of the church. He's persecuting the church to death, arresting Christians just for being Christians. And when Jesus appeared to him on the road, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Persecuting me? He says, who are you? Says, I'm Jesus Christ. Who are you persecuting? Paul was persecuting the church and thus persecuting the Lord. John Calvin said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said it in Latin, so you never know. He said, when you step on the little toe of a man, the head knows it first. Do you hear that? When you step on the little toe of a man, the head knows it first. But the afflictions that Paul was suffering, he understood, came with great benefits. After all, he wasn't suffering for being a criminal, but for being a Christian, for being a missionary, a church planter. And what the servant suffers is truly aimed at the master. And they didn't want to stop Paul just because they didn't like Paul. They wanted to stop Paul because they didn't like Christ. And the same is true today. John Peter Lang said the bitterness of sorrow cannot disturb Paul's joy at the sweetness of the fruit because his suffering he felt was worth it. Now if you look at the history of persecution of the church 
you can see over and over, instead of squashing the church, is spread it. When Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 7, everybody, the whole church was in Jerusalem at that time. Stephen was stoned and everybody ran. Only the elders, only the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Everybody else took off. And what did they do? They took the gospel with them. They left Jerusalem. They were forced out, forced to flee. They took the message of the gospel into Turkey and into Greece. What about Paul? They tried to stop Paul, right? Arrest him in Jerusalem. And he gets carried off to Rome. Do you know what he gets to do on the way? Preach to everybody who will listen. He gets to preach the gospel to Felix and to Festus and to King Agrippa all the way to Rome. We don't have it recorded here, but he could have preached the gospel to Caesar himself because he was trying to be stopped by the enemies of the church. Paul felt that in suffering for the sake of the church that he was filling up the measure of those afflictions in his physical body for Christ's spiritual body, the church. Little did he know the blood of martyrs would continue to be shed for thousands of years in order to bring the gospel uh, and God's word to the whole world. Do you know how much blood was shed so that you could own 75,000 copies of this if you want? Our perception is that pain is bad. Right? Who likes pain? But the reality is that God has a purpose in it and he uses it for his glory. He used Paul's pain, he'll use yours. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. There's so much to talk about in these verses. In verse 25, Paul says that he became a minister of the church. Do you know what that means? Now we call him Reverend Paul. Reverend of Tarsus. Right? No, no. I'll give you another hint. Minister doesn't mean master either. It means servant. Bond servant. Paul went from being a persecutor of the church to being a servant of the church. Unfortunately, all too often, ministers act as if they are the church's masters. All too often, the church holds them up to be such. But nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus is the anointed one, not Reverend Keniston. I've even had that said to me before. When I was not a minister in this capacity, you can't say anything bad about the pastor because the Bible says, touch not the Lord's anointed. What? David said that about King Saul, king of Israel, not about Reverend Keniston, thank you very much. It's ridiculous, but it's a reality. We know it is. Hmm. Paul became a servant according to the stewardship from God that was given for him, given to him for the church to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 
We've talked about this word stewardship before. I was here. I don't know if you were. The word stewardship means house law or household order. It's God's plan for the church, how the church should be and live. It's his design and his purpose for Paul and his letters so that the word of God became fully known. It is these letters, God's word to us through Paul, that make up most of the New Testament and that teach us God's design for the body of Christ, the framework that we're founded upon. That's why we have elders and not executive boards. That's why we seek the Lord's direction and guidance through that group rather than take a congregational vote. Because it's not scripture. It's not the framework God has designed. The perception may very well be that the Bible is out of date and irrelevant. Irrelevant for modern living. But nothing could be further from the truth. God's design for the church still holds true and his desire for people to be part of it is as strong as ever. And the mystery here mentioned in verse 26 is all about who gets to be part of God's family. For ages and generations, the Jews were the only one who got access to God. Did you know that? Before Jesus. Even if a Gentile, a person who is not Jewish by birth, Uh, converted to Judaism and followed all the rules and and honored all the traditions, they were still considered lower than a real Jew. You can see that in the very design of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. There was a court of the Gentiles. That's where the Gentiles could go. And then there's a holy place. Gentiles can't go in there. Right? They were kept out, kept separate, even if they claimed the same faith. But now... The mystery that was hidden for ages and generations has been revealed. That Jews and Gentiles can both be saints. Both part of the body of Christ, the church, through faith in him. Do you want to know why the Temple Mount doesn't stand in Jerusalem anymore? It doesn't need to be there. Do you know why the Ark of the Covenant that represented the very presence of God is not found? Because we don't need it. We have Jesus. And he has one body, the church. Jews and Gentiles made together in one, one body, one family. Now, this is where we pause. Uh, you really ought to be amending a lot about that. I don't know if you can trace your nationality back to Abraham or not. I can't. Maybe to son of Alistair. Maybe to Blethen Ap Cunyon of Wales. But not to Abraham. But I get to be part of the family of God and show to you. Amen. Amen. The mystery hidden for ages past. It's not a mystery like people were trying to figure this out all along. It's a secret. They didn't know anything about it. God hadn't revealed it to them. People weren't trying to figure this out before. But now we can know. The mystery hidden for ages and generations has been revealed that Jews and Gentiles can both be saints both part of the body of Christ, the church, both part of God's eternal kingdom through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And now, to the gooey center, to the prize inside. Verse 27. To the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, are you ready? Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not the knowledge of Christ, not the doctrine of Christ, not knowledge from Christ, but Christ himself, his person dwelling within you through faith. You Gentiles, you former aliens and strangers who were formerly hostile in your minds and doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. If you're feeling far from good, guess who moves? Nobody! You can't get away from him. He's inside of you. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. Christ dwells in you and he'll never leave you, never forsake you. If you're feeling far from God, it simply means you're ignoring him. Now you feel like you're back down south with all the yelling. <laughs> ah, Christ in you Christ in me Christ in us the hope of glory whatever blessings we have from faith in Christ in this life whatever closeness we feel with him whatever joy we experience here among his body the church in this life is just a seed it's just a seed when we get to God's eternal kingdom we get the entire harvest of being in His presence forever. Amen to that. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all this energy that He powerfully works within me. What's the goal? What's God's goal for the church, Christ's body? It's maturity. It's completeness. It's perfection for you and for me, not allowing our perceptions to define our realities, but allowing God's truth, reality as he defines it, to guide our perception of ourselves and of our neighbors, of God, of his love and his plan for us. This is a major step towards that goal. We're going to talk more about that this next week. Christ in you. What a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Father, how can we ever express our gratitude that the plan that you had for ages past was that Christ would dwell in us through faith. That you would somehow adopt this ragtag nation of Gentiles nobody's from nowhere to be part of your family part of your kingdom part of your very body what a wonderful thing may our lives reflect our gratitude for your adoption of us as your children I pray Father if there's anyone here this morning that does not know that Christ can be in them they don't know what that is or what that's like, that they can turn to you in faith and receive the gift of your forgiveness, your death on the cross on their behalf is for them. You died for us. 
May they know the power of what it means to have Christ in them, just as he is in us. We do love you, Lord. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.